The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. You are worthy. Last week we started a new series and we're looking at practical Christian living. Practical Christian living. I said last week it was a title that was big and broad so that we can actually speak on a number of different things. But last week we were looking at, or I was reminding you, as to who we are and what our function is. Who we are. We are human beings created by God. And our function as those human beings created by God is to image God. God is, and we are to, as it were, reflect that image, to be representatives of that image within the earth. So that when people are looking at Christians... They should be looking at God. They should be experiencing something of God. So it's quite a, an awesome responsibility that we have, but that is the function. When it says that we were made in the image of God, what it says is there in the Hebrew, it's coming with this idea, we are there to image him, to show him forth, to be his representatives. And when we look at the beginnings, we see that there is an order and a structure in all things. God is first. If you remember the first verse of the Bible in Genesis said, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God is before all things. God is the creator of all things. Uh, he is first in all things. Everything has been made by him and has been made to live out his will in the earth. God is supreme. He is the king over his kingdom. He is the king over his kingdom. He's watching over the place of his rule. His name is above any other name. His power is greater than any other power. His wisdom and knowledge are beyond our comprehension because he knows the end of all things from the very beginning. We don't. That's how big he is, how great he is, how mighty he is. Yes, so God is first in all things and that is why it's important for us to live our lives under his authority, submitting to his guidance, following his will. God is also everywhere present. It's another one of his attributes. He is omnipresent. And you know what? In, in the Bible, in Acts uh, 17, it says, For in him we live and move and have our being. For in him we live and move and have our being. That means, literally, that God is everywhere. God is here. His presence is here. God is outside of this building. He's right down Bromley High Street. He's all across the United Kingdom. He's all around the world. God is everywhere. In him we live and move and have our being. But the truth is that we're not always aware of his presence. That's just the truth. He is everywhere. So wherever you are, God is. But you doesn't always feel like it. In fact, some of the things that we get up to, oh, we've obviously forgotten that God was there. God is everywhere. He's here. And as a Christian, as Christians, 
It doesn't mean to say that we're always aware of his presence. Just because we carry the name of Jesus as a Christian doesn't mean that we're always aware of his presence. But when he reveals himself, do you remember, or you may not have read it, but in the Bible there's a story of two disciples on the Emmaus Road. Jesus had been crucified and they were coming back to their home and it was just like, oh, you know. Some people have said, now it's three days after he'd been crucified, there were, some people have said he's risen from the dead, oh, you know, they're having this conversation. Jesus comes and joins them, but they don't see him as Jesus. They don't recognize him. They just think he's a stranger. And they're having this conversation, this guy's saying, what's been going on? Tell me about what's been going on. And they say, you don't know. You don't know what's been going on in Jerusalem. And they're pouring out their hearts. They're telling him everything. And it wasn't until they actually got to their home and they invited him in and they said, please stay with us, stay tonight, stay and have a food with us, that when he broke bread and he started to pray, they suddenly recognized Jesus. It was only at that moment when he allowed himself to be revealed, this is Jesus. He is everywhere present. God is everywhere present. But he is the revealer of himself. But when he reveals himself... We want to take note of those moments because they're special moments. Practical Christian living is living according to his will. It's living in a way that we're doing the things that God wants us to do. So when we're talking about this subject, that's really what it's centering in. We're allowing God, who is everywhere, who knows everything, who oversees everything, we're allowing him to have complete authority over our lives. We're submitting to him. And we're seeking to be obedient to his will. Now, that's the subject that I often speak about, but it's not just that I'm banging on a drum about this. This is important. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what the Apostle Paul taught. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temple, temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Paul is reminding people to say, listen, you've come to know Jesus Christ. You've found salvation of your sins. Listen, you're not your own. It's not just for you to go and say, I can do whatever I want. You have been purchased by God. You belong to him. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. We looked at this last week. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, Paul was teaching exactly what we're saying, or what we're reminding ourselves of today, that practical Christian living is living according to God's will. We're seeking to do what God wants us to do. Paul also said in Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was identifying the fact, listen, I've, I've got saved now. I, I, I can't afford to live for myself. In fact, that old person, he's dead. The life I'm living now, I'm living for Jesus. That's how we should be living. Now, are there challenges in this? Absolutely there are. There are many challenges for us to live according to his will. But we need to understand, first and foremost, we have been called to live according to his will. We have been called to image him, to be his representatives 
in the world. And to be honest, our problems stem basically from the fact that we want to keep the old man, that pre-Christian man, that that pre-Christian woman alive. We want to do the things we've always done because some of those things, oh, actually, we still like them. We want to keep doing them. We don't want to drop them from our lives. In fact, we don't want to surrender. We want to do what we want to do. There's a constant battle of our selfishness, our sinfulness that we face. That battle is very much alive, and it's one that we're all fighting from day to day. But this is why Jesus pointed out to his disciples and to all those he was speaking to that the old man needs to die. He said in John 12, 24, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. If we're really going to represent God, And we're going to show the world God because that is what we're supposed to be as his images, as those who are bringing his character into the world. We're supposed to be representing him, showing him forth. So if people are to see God, they've got to see God in us. Not the things of the flesh, not those sins that we're so easily beset, but they want to see God working through us. And if we're going to have that to happen, then we've got to die. That thing, that part of us, that fleshly part of us has to be laid down. And we need to live under the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. Just as a seed. You have a packet of seeds. You open it up. There's just single seeds. There they are, seeds. They're doing nothing. They're just seeds. But you take that seed and you plant it in the ground. And that's when its coat breaks open. The warmth of the soil, the damp of the soil causes it to literally die. And when it dies, it then starts to grow. And as it grows, it multiplies from one seed to produce many seeds. It's a symbol of fruitfulness. If we want to be fruitful, and we have been called to be fruitful, we have been more than called, we have been appointed to be fruitful, then we need to learn that something has to die in us. Our old self needs to die, and we need to live for Jesus. So Jesus is giving sobering verses, if you like. Look, you need to die to the old man. You need to live so that actually you can produce a lot of fruit. Here's another sobering statement that Jesus made. He says in Matthew 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And it's sobering because you think, well, hang on a second. He's saying here that not everyone who's saying, Lord, Lord, not everyone who's following me, not everyone who's saying my name is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. There are many who have the ability to say, Lord, Lord, and yet they're not doing the will of God. Jesus says they won't enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, We are shocked by verses like this. We don't like them. This is the sort of verse that we'd rather say, let's get rid of it. But I would say, rather than being shocked, let's understand this is an integrity issue as far as God is concerned. God's not interested in people just saying, oh, you know my name. Loads of people know my name. I'm asking you to do my will. I'm asking you to reflect who I am. It's an integrity issue. God wants us to have integrity to who he is. He is keen on protecting the integrity of his own name. That is what that scripture is about. Not just that, but that certainly is what I'm underlining about it here. God's kingdom is the place where his will and his commands are carried out. So if that's not happening, 
then it can't be declared as his kingdom. If our function is to image God in the earth, and instead of that we're imaging or we're representing the enemy, then we can understand why God is upset. Because we're not representing his kingdom. Our task is to fulfill the will of God in the earth. So we want to be carrying out his will. Well, when we say that, we keep mentioning this word, his will, his will, his will. It begs the question, well, what is his will? Now, I don't know whether you were here at the beginning of July, but at the beginning of July, Yomi preached, and the message he preached was about God's universal will. Or that's particularly what he reflected on. And he said to, look, there's a few verses in Scripture which underline things that God has said, everybody, I want everybody to do these things. And if you remember his message, he brought it under an acronym of BAGS. Because that's quite interesting. You take bags with you. We have lots of bags all the time, unless you're going to the shops and you've usually forgotten your bag and you have to end up paying the 20 or 30p for another one or something like that. But he, it's under the acronym of bags. And I'm just going to use that again this morning to remind us what God's universal will is, what his will is for every one of us. This isn't singling anybody out. This is for every one of us. God wants us to pay attention to these things because this is his will. First of all, bags, B is for believe. Believe. John 6 verse 40. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. God's will is that everyone should come to believe in Jesus. He doesn't want anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. That's God's will. Of course it is, you could say. Of course it is, because the reason the Son of God was made manifest was to destroy the works of the enemy. He wants to bring everybody out of the captivity of darkness and into the knowledge of him as Savior and Lord so they can be saved, so they also can know the freedom of their sins, so they can grow up and represent him in the earth as he desires. As Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has believed in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Believing brings a massive change to our lives because we are literally removed from this place of darkness, this place where we've been held captive by the enemy. We're taken out of that and we're brought into the kingdom of God. It doesn't always feel like it. Wow, what's happened? Because we can't always see this change that's happened. But that is the beginning of the transformational change that only God can bring. And it is God's will that everyone believes in Jesus so that they can become a new creation in him. It's almost like you can go back to the beginning. You can be born again. What, physically? No, not physically. But it's like you have the opportunity to have a fresh start. Have you come here this morning looking for a fresh start in life? Have you come here because it's like, okay, I've got to the end. Nothing seems to be working. Let me tell you that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. To separate from them, them from their sins. To let them know peace and forgiveness in their life. So that they can be called his children and be his representatives doing his will in the earth. God's universal will is that we all believe in Jesus for our salvation. And Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I know sometimes these just seem like, okay, these are just words we're reading out. Listen, if you're taking these words to heart, you're believing in Jesus as he is the only way, the only way that we can find forgiveness of our sins. We're believing in Jesus. Then, and we confess that to other people. We say, yes, you are Lord. Saying Jesus is Lord is, is basically, I'm coming under your will. I'm allowing you to lead my life. I'm giving my life to you. I'm surrendering who I am. I am stepping out of the way that you may come and live through me. Uh, if you do that, you, uh, then, and you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. B is for believe. God's will, universal will is that everyone would believe. Secondly, A. A is for avoid or abstain. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Some translations say that you abstain from sexual immorality. A is for avoid. God's will is that you should be sanctified. Now what does that mean? To be sanctified means basically that you are to be made holy. God is holy. And as Christians, we've been called to be little gods, if you like, little Christ-like ones. So it is only true that we should therefore be made holy as he is holy. In fact, that is a scripture. Be holy, for I am holy, says God. Part of that holiness, part of that falling into line with God's will, is that we abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, what does that mean? Sexual immorality, the Greek word pornea, means illicit sexual intercourse. Okay, this is just a bit of education for us today. Okay, what does that mean? It means that if we are to be holy, if we're to follow God's will, we should abstain from any illicit sexual intercourse. That is, any form of sexual encounter that God has not permitted. And just so that we're all clear, let me just outline what God has, commit, has permitted. As Christians, the only sexual encounter God has permitted is that between a husband and wife who are married to each other. That's it. Now that leaves a lot of uh, frustration in society today. But actually, if we were to go back to the time when Paul was writing these things, he was writing into a society, a Greek society, that actually had exactly the same issues as we are having. Well, not exactly, but a lot of the same issues as we are having today. Where illicit sexual encounters, just to put a very broad phrase upon them all, were happening all the time. So much so that it was actually not considered by the average non-Jew, that is Gentile. So the Jews obviously have their laws, but anybody who's not a Jew, be a called a Gentile, the Gentiles basically, they do not consider it to be a sin. Uh, that sounds very much like our society today. Very much. You calling that a sin? What are you talking about? The only sexual encounter that God says is okay is that between a man and a woman who are married to each other. That's it? Yes. That's it. In fact, 
there was a gathering of the Christians in Jerusalem, uh, the senior uh, leaders uh, called the Council of Jerusalem. And they issued a statement which they sent out to the Gentile believers that Paul, people like Paul had been going to and preaching to. And they said, right, okay, these are our instructions to you. You need to keep away from any food that's been offered to idols. And you need to avoid any form of illicit sexual encounters. And the reason they said that to the Christians was... The Christians had obviously been unsaved and now they were saved. And they were coming from a background which was saying, like, all of this stuff is okay. And so the Council of Jerusalem is saying, we need to remind them all that is not okay. This is what God says. Does it cause frustration? Yes. Because, you see, you might have been living life one way, but now you're having to, to live life a different way. So, yes, it does cause frustrations. Let me ask you. Are you, anybody in this room, involved in any form of illicit sexual encounter, actual or mental? I add that because you see, so, oh, no, no, I'm not, I haven't been doing that. Well, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? And I'm talking to young people, and I'm talking to adults, I'm talking to men, I'm talking to women. God's will, his universal will, that which we as Christians are supposed to be taking on and walking in is that we avoid sexual immorality. B is for believe. A is for avoid. And G is for give thanks. Give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will is that we give thanks in every circumstance, what, whatever really is going on, every sort of situation that we're facing. Now, that doesn't mean to say that we find every circumstance pleasurable or that we're thinking, like, this is exactly what I wanted to experience because we know that many of the situations that we face in life are not good. But we also must understand that God cares and he does know everything. And he knows what we're going through. And he even knows that it, through those circumstances, whatever they may be, he is seeking to work his purposes out through our lives. So even though we don't understand it, we can give thanks. A couple of weeks ago, Kevin was talking about Paul and Silas in the jail in Philippi. And there they were, having been beaten, having been put wrongly in jail, having been accused. They are sitting, and yet, at midnight, it says, they were singing praises to God. You see, they had a mindset that had taken this on board. There was two men who were seeking to live under the will of God. It doesn't mean to say things were easy. They were far from easy that night. But they had come to terms with the fact of, God, you are in control. I don't understand what's going on, but I'm going to lay down my mind. I'm going to lay down my desires. I'm going to come under your authority that you may lead me, that you may guide me, that you may help me. Therefore, even though I don't like what I'm going through, I can praise your name. I can say you are good. I can say that from the foundation of all things, you are for me, not against me. I can say you are the lifter of my head, even in the midst of this circumstance. Even though I'm in jail, yet shall I praise you, O God, because you are good. 
That's what we see in Paul and Silas in that situation. That's what God is calling us to ourselves. Giving thanks in every situation is you acknowledging the sovereignty that God has in every situation. Remember that he is the first. He is the last. He is the beginning. He is the end of all things. That is who he is. He is the way, the truth, and the life as well. It's God's will that we give thanks in every situation. G is for give thanks. So believe, avoid, give thanks, and fourthly, submit. S is for submit. 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 15. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Submit and do good. That is God's will for us. That's what he wants us to do. Submit to those in authority over you, in every human institution. The government, the local authority, your headmaster, your headmistress, teachers, your boss, the police, etc., etc., The only time you do not obey them is if they are telling you to do something that directly disobeys what God has instructed you to do, particularly through his word. Otherwise, we're instructed to obey God and to submit to these authorities so that our society can function effectively. Now, a good example of this would be our friend, or not necessarily our friend, would be the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. I believe on the 29th, not I believe, I know, on the 29th of August, he introduced ULEZ, the ultra-low emission zone. And that provides us with an excellent example of what's going on. Because you see, S for submit says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, for this is the will of God. God is saying that we should obey the mayor of London that we shouldn't go and attack the cameras and break them and stop things, but we should actually submit. Now, that has been, and let's be honest, because it's probably affected some people here, it's been a complete pain in the neck, because for many, it said, like, I've got to sell my car. I can't drive it, unless I'm going to pay this uh, can charge every time I use my car. It has been a frustration and an annoyance, and I can understand why many people would be upset and would want to raise objections to it. And it's not to say that they don't have the right to raise an objection. But what does God say about it? And when we come down to what does God say, he says, look, I want you to submit to those authorities because they have been put in place to actually produce a society that actually works and holds together. But we don't like it. Do you remember what Jesus said to Christians? He said, listen, if you're gonna be a, you need to be not just seeds that remain as seeds. You need to die so that you can produce a lot of fruit. We need to submit. The word submit doesn't go down well with us. I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to myself. It's not as though I've got this wrapped up. There are fights and battles we have every day with our own experiences, the things that we're going through. This is not easy. The whole subject of sexuality, this is not easy, but I can't change what God says. If you want to have an argument, have it with him. Not just saying like, oh, you Christians, this is all you believe. You're always like this. 
Remember what God said. You see, as a young person, if you've got a girlfriend and you're having sex with them and you're not married to them, God says no. He says no. As a young person, I've been a young person, I can remember having all sorts of thoughts and emotions. Those emotions and thoughts were saying yes. We're frightened to talk about these things. I bet you I could have older men and women come up here and testify to what happened in their lives and for them to give advice to you young people to say, listen, God and his word is what actually produces the best fruit in the end. But you see, we don't want to go there. We want to just like, I want to do what I want to do. I want to live how I want to live. I want to be who I want to be. I want to be like the people around me. God hasn't called you to be like the people around you. God has asked you to be like him, to be his imager. You were created to image him. You were made in his likeness so that you could represent him in the earth. I just said about young people, but you see, what about that person at the shops or that person in your office that you are married, but you think, oh, life would be so much better if I could have an affair with them. It's not just the guys, it's women. Let's not pretend that we're all so lovely just because we come to church. Let's face the reality that we're fighting against sin in our lives. We have an enemy who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But we have a God who wants to bring fruitfulness. We have a God who is for us, who wants to see us right through to the end. We have a God who wants to produce out of your life a life that brings glory to him and is a blessing to others around him, uh, around us. So like, here we are, and we're not pointing the finger. The object of my bringing a message like this isn't to say, can we have hands up for those who haven't sinned? No. We all came in because we're sinners. The reason that we're here in the first place is because we recognized that we weren't living our lives as we ought to. We need a savior. We need somebody who's greater than us to rescue us, to help us, to lead us, to guide us. Therefore, actually, understanding what his will is, living according to his purpose, I need to pay attention to that. I need to listen to what he has to say. I can't remember if I've got through them all, have I? <laughs> oh, no, no, we're talking about Sadiq Khan. Yes. And there we were. We were just like, you know, like, we don't like the Sadiq Khan. And yet God is saying to us, hmm, Yulez is a classic example where we're not being told to do anything that is against God. But it ruffles our feathers. And God has something to speak into that. Do you know what? It's far easier to use that as an example than it is anything to do with sexuality. Far easier. But the principles are the same. What does God say? What is he actually instructing us? Let me give you an example, though, of not obeying the authorities. Because we need that as well. That comes from Acts chapter 4. Peter and John were pulled up before the Sanhedrin, that is, the ruling authority of the Jewish people, and commanded not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. You mustn't talk about Jesus. You mustn't preach about Jesus. You, now that is going against what God wants. And so we find Peter and Paul saying this, Acts 4 verses 19 and 20, saying to the Sanhedrin, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you 
or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. But I just wanted to give, in fairness, there are times when we don't obey the authorities, and there's an example for it. So what is God's universal will for us? God's universal will is that we believe, we avoid, we give thanks, we submit. That's universal. That means for all of us. For all of us. Now, let me just return to the final scripture that I shared last week from James. You know, James, he has that habit of putting just in a few words, just a pointed statement and hitting us with it. So James 4 verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And as I said earlier, the reason of bringing these things up is because we need to be challenged. It's not just challenged, we need to be awakened. And this isn't just to give us an uncomfortable Sunday. Outside in our communities, there are thousands of people who do not know Jesus Christ. Across Bromley, across London, they're starting to get from thousands to hundreds of thousands to millions of people. That is why we're talking about these things. Because God has created us in his image, in his likeness, so that we might reflect him, so that we might image him in the earth. That's what we've been told to do. So we're being confronted with what is God's universal will? Wow, okay. That's what God's universal will is. And there will be other things that he wants for your own life, I'm quite sure. But his universal will, well, we need to actually say, okay, Lord, am I doing this? No, in truth, I find it a struggle. So this is where we come back to say, Lord, we need you. The object is not to bring condemnation. The object is to bring awakening that we may turn to the one who can help us so that he can actually raise us up and strengthen us. We want to be those who represent God truly and who fulfill his will. But we're asking the Holy Spirit, please, Holy Spirit, come and help us. Please come and change us. Come and do your work in us. Come and help us to have hearts that are hungry for you. Come, Lord, and help me, O oh Lord, to have a desire that is after the things that you desire, not just after the things of the world that are surrounding me. Help my heart to be softened in your presence. Help my heart to be hungry for you. Let me, O oh God, die to myself that I may live for you. Enable me, O oh Lord, to lay my life down that you may be glorified in me. Help me, O oh Lord, to submit to your law. Help me not to argue or resist against you, but speak your word. Lord, bring your revelation. It's only as you reveal yourself. Lord, I can't repent of the sins I don't know about. But Father, when you show me, when you point out in my heart the things that you don't like, the things that have been going on for so long, the things that you want me to turn away from, give me the grace, Lord, to hear. Give me the grace, Lord, to turn. Give me the grace, Lord, to repent. Give me the grace, Lord, to change, I pray. Father, come and move upon our hearts. Lord, we want awakening. We want to be awakened that we may be those who are called and who work for things of your kingdom. Father, please come and work within us. Lord, we know that we have walked in ways that are wrong. Father, have mercy. Lord, will you please awaken our hearts and our minds to know you, the only true God. 
and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is what you said is eternal life, that we know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We want eternal life, so Lord, please help us to know you. Awaken us and fill us again with your Holy Spirit. Strengthen us, Lord. Establish us in your ways that we truly may be the lights that you want us to be in this dark world. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.